in the poster right there, the, uh, the slim silhouette, the soft square, and the salt and pepper models. Um, and so once we have the concept designs developed, we work with a company based in San Francisco called Abroe um, to complete the remaining um, scopes of mechanically engineering the cans, uh, fabricating all the parts and working with the vendors to secure, procure materials and um, you know, did the final assembly and polishing. And the, uh, the end results were amazing and it's exactly as how we had envisioned them to be. Um, we are very proud of Abroe. Um, they did a fantastic job. And um, you know, we're now in, this, in our, our trial um, sort of period. We have this approximate 60-day trial period where we are testing how each prototypes work. We want to get community feedbacks. Um, we're gathering feedbacks from all directions via online surveys, um, 311 requests, and uh, we just want to encourage everyone to participate. Each pilot can has a sticker on them that looks like this. We have a QR code on the sticker that would take you to an online survey. The survey is available in five different languages, so we want to just want everybody to participate and let us know your thoughts and um, you know what you think of the trash cans. We want to know if they work. If they don't work, we also want to know. Um, so yeah, so I, I think right now with that, I will turn over to Tamara, who will then talk more about the prototypes and the fabrication process. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Lisa. Wow, this mic is exciting. <laughs> hey everyone, I'm Tamara, um, and I have a degree, master's degree in mechanical engineering from UC Berkeley. Are you embarrassed, anyone? <laughs> um, and I work for APROE, which is the design and engineering company, as Lisa mentioned, that um, built these prototypes. Uh, if you're curious, APROE stands for Advanced Prototype Engineering. So my involvement with this project started about a year ago when we got the designs from the um, Institute for Creative Integration. And these folks, as Lisa was explaining, um, took all the design ideas and constraints from the city, like these questions about durability and rummaging and are they gonna look nice, and put them together into something that hopefully has a really great like look and feel for the user. And on our end, we received that in the form of like a 3D object on the computer, which is great and it looks cool, and of course, there's a whole series of steps to take that and make it into a real thing made out of metal that's like on the street, right? And this is the prototyping process, right? So it's really quite interesting. Um, you're creating something that actually just has never existed before. So what does that look like? Um, it starts with a lot of design iterations. Then maybe you need to make some tools for the parts that you need to make it. And then you make the parts. And then maybe you need additional tools to assemble those parts. And uh, then you know you thought you planned everything to go perfectly, but it actually didn't in reality. <laughs> and so you have to figure out what went wrong and redesign. Um, and you know eventually it all works out. And there's actually cans out on the street, which is awesome. Um, of course, you know there's a lot of creative ideas and hard work that um, went into making them actually get there. So 
If the city does choose to mass produce one of these cans, of course, that's a little bit of a different process um, from this initial prototyping um, phase. Because if we're mass producing something, then all those design questions are already figured out, right? Um, we know what the tooling is going to be. Maybe we choose a manufacturing process that's a little bit more efficient. And that kind of just streamlines everything, makes it a little bit cheaper and um, faster. So in addition, if the city chooses one of the custom cans, it's kind of cool because um, they wouldn't have to pay any of the normal like overhead business costs for buying a production can. And that essentially means that you're getting a much higher value for like the money you're spending and putting into the can. So could be cool. Um, anyway, I think that's enough for now to introduce me and Aprewi, and I'm super happy to be here. Thanks, everyone. That's a hard act to follow. <laughs> My name is Allison Mickles. I've worked for Public Works for 20 plus years. I'm currently working in special projects. I oversee the um, city cans, events, barricades, um, Broadway tunnel cleaning. Um, I've worked on major events for the last 17 years, you know, Beta Breakers, Pride, all of those events, all those great functions. Yeah, we, um, we put it down. San Francisco <laughs> is on the map. That's right. So, I'm, I'm, that's right. Okay, I'm super nervous. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to try not to have jokes, but what I do is I, I assess the cans. I have a team that goes out. We put the cans in place. We work with BBR. That's another um, part of our agency that um, does the, um, they use the drills and stuff to, to put the cans in place. What I can tell you about the cans that we currently have, um, the concrete can is nice, 500 pounds, but it begins to rust. The door won't stay. And when people use their hanger or whatever mechanism they use to open the can, there goes our liners. There goes the garbage on the street. There's a whole lot that happens when they open that door. And so then we have the Renaissance can. The Renaissance cans were okay for maybe a couple of weeks, let's say. <laughs> then after that, the, it started to chip, the paint. You have to use paint to replace, you know, to replace the damaged paint that costs money. I don't know how much a gallon of paint is, but it's up in the 20s or 40s. Then you have to do the maintenance of the locks. The locks on the door is the same thing. You have a lock, they, they damage the lock, you know, they swing the door open, slam it shut, and then there's the lock, and then you have to replace the liner, and then there's the money. So when Carla took over, I was very excited for her. I love Carla, okay, just, yeah, okay. But when she took over and she said, we're going to move forward with this, I was her number one fan. I said, okay, here we go. And so I just got on board, um, my team got on board, and we're looking to improve the way San Francisco operates around garbage. That's one of the big factors that we need to keep the streets clean. We're very diligent about this. And so with the newer design, it will save on cost, it will save on maintenance, and then we can go in, clean it, get it going, and go to the next site. We don't have to stop, we don't have to paint it, we don't have to do this and that, because the model is made with stainless steel. I love that. Silver matches with everything. I just love it. So with that in mind, we can go ahead and take San Francisco to the next level. We're already the, you know, the forerunner of all the tech companies, but why not have a smart garbage can? When they said that, I asked my mom, she's 89. She's a little here and there. She says, that sounds like a, a winner. I said, okay, mom. <laughs> so when, 
we started with a prototype and everything. Lisa's super smart, Tamara's super smart. I was like, well, where do I fit in? But I said, okay, I'm just gonna do what I do. So we go out and we look at the cans. We got the team looking at the cans. We're all taking the surveys and we're, we, we want the feedback. We wanna know how you feel, you know, because this is a, a trendsetter. We're moving forward with something new. This is gonna be history in the making. And we just, we're from San Francisco. I'm born and raised. I have one son who passed away, but he's with Jesus. I have two granddaughters and a great grandchild. I, I don't know who ordered that, but okay, but I'm here. <laughs> but we want to teach the children and have them be a part of the innovation and show them that you can take something bad and make it good. You just have to reach out. That's all I got. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody on the panel. Thank you, Allison, Lisa, Tamara. Uh, so I think people probably have questions. So if you have a question, just raise your hand. And there are some wireless mics. And we will do our best to try to answer them. Yeah. Hi. Um, I live in the Tenderloin, kind of the edge of it. and. I think I've seen in the last few years has been the big belly garbage cans with like the solar receiver on the top. And I've observed in the last year or so the strange trend of like those things are vandalized and like burnt and scorched off the top. Like someone is removing the solar panels for whatever reason. Um, I'm curious what the like vandalism security aspect is in these new units. Like this one is very specific, but. I'm curious. Yeah, that is a great question. Um, I might kick it off and then see if anyone else wants to weigh in. So durability was a major consideration for us. Um, and when Allison said she didn't know where she fit in, she was critical providing information from our crews out on the streets about what are the challenges they have with the cans that are out there. So these cans were designed specifically to resist certain types of vandalism. So, you know, they're harder for people to graffiti, to tag. That, that's no accident, you know, a lot of thought went into that. Um, they don't, we don't have a solar panel, so we don't need to worry about that, um, that aspect of it. But the, you know, the, the durability of the areas that are currently challenging for us was, you know, were some of the criteria that we said we really need to try to address these. You know, I don't think there's a perfect trash can in the world. Um, and I don't think we're going to solve all of our challenges, right? Even if we get really great high-performing cans, which we're confident we will emerge from this process with, there's probably still going to be something that happens. But the hope is they will be much lower maintenance, that we can spend a lot less of our time and energy maintaining the cans and more of our time and energy you know, cleaning and doing other things that, that we need to do. Anybody else want to chime in on that one? Yeah, I think we took that into consideration when we did uh, develop the criteria for the new trash cans. Um, you'll see that some of the, um, the, like two of the custom models has the vertical pipes or the ribs, and they were designed that way to actually defer, you know, deter um, uh, such uh, things such as graffiti, because um, you know we were told that if the things, if there is a flat piece of panel. Uh, substrate um, that calls for graffiti, and if they are separated, you know, by pipes, and you know, it's not a sort of like a full panel, then people 
task less satisfaction when they uh, try to put graffiti on them. So that's that work, you know, put into consideration. And um, plus the selection of using stainless steel and carbon steel, they are extremely durable uh, for vandalism. Um, and one of the cans, I think they weight over 300, 400 pounds. So they're kind of, you know, impossible to be removed and, uh, and broken. So uh, we did take into consideration that. And in fact, that's, you know, one of the, our top priorities with the new trash cans. And so with the, um, where did he go? Oh, there you are. So with the, um, the big bellies, they actually take apart the big belly. They use bits and pieces to charge their phones. Exactly. And then they also use the, um, and the gentleman told me today, they also use a part of the mechanism to open doors because it has a hydraulic system. And then when they're set on fire, they melt. Okay, so they melt all the way, they melt, and then they're still there. And so we didn't have a say-so on those cans, so that's why you still see them in areas damaged like that. So like um, Lisa said, they took all that into consideration and the design, and she mentioned the, um, the long elated bars on the new cans. What I like, which Carla mentioned when they were designing it, is the rodents can't crawl up. Okay, we get, okay, you got the cans with the little circles on it. Okay, they're, they're living in there, they're in there, you know. But when you have those long things like, okay, they can't crawl up there, it looks good. They tagged one of the cans, I think on 26 and Petrero, wiped right off. They're new, okay, I get that, but they only have the top part that can be graffiti, so there's e easy maintenance. We're not pulling out, you know, gallons of paint and that type of thing. But those big bellies, yeah, those are, yeah, that's not our design. Okay. <laughs> There's a question over here. Thanks. Hi. Um, just a couple of questions. I guess, well, I like the big bellies because I like the foot-operated part. And I imagine there's kind of a tension between, like, usability and not wanting to encourage. Like, I look at the other two, and, like, the hole's really small. So I'm sure there will be a lot of trash that, like, piles up around it because people can't get their trash in. So I don't know, talk about like the different kind of trade-offs also between like weight, like you don't want it to be pushed over, right? Like it, some of these might get pushed over if they're, you know, too light. And then also, um, what's the total budget? Like how much have you spent already and how much can you spend total and how many cans is this gonna cover? Are you gonna be replacing all the cans or will there be uh, new, like an increase in the number of cans? <laughs> all right, um, we didn't, if we don't remember all of those, uh, <laughs> you can help us. Um, uh, okay, I'm actually, uh, I'm going to start with kind of the trade-offs. Um, so we did, we, we talked a lot about how you can prevent rummaging in, in cans. And, um, and so that is a, that is a challenge, you know, having a space that's big enough that people can put things in, but small enough that prevents people from easily taking things out. Um, and so the cans actually have inside, they have kind of a neck that will, we hope, make it more difficult for people to pull things out of the can once it's gone in, kind of the old school um, post office box model. Um, I'm really dating myself with that one. Um, <laughs> so as I said, there's no perfect can and you know we do have trade-offs. I think one thing that we, we may emerge from this process realizing that we want to merge some of the features of each of these cans. So it may not be, you know, we don't necessarily come out of this with one clear winner. Maybe we do. Um, but we may come out of this with, you know, this worked really well on this can, 
but this worked really well on this other can. Can we work with our designers to actually make you know the, the baby of those two cans? So um, we hope that it'll continue to be iterative. That's a big reason why we want the feedback from folks. So it's feedback from everyone who's using the cans, from our crews who are out there, from you know the Recology crews who are servicing the cans. So all of that is really critical. Um, in terms of weight, they're all heavy. Um, we have a little crane, a little knuckle boom crane that we use to place the cans um, so that we don't injure our employees when, when they're putting, being put out there. So even the existing cans are pretty heavy um, and then they, they get bolted down as well. Um, but it was really critical for us to have that rolling toter because it makes it so much easier to service and we're not breaking people's bodies by making them lift these big heavy um, liners. Um, okay, so we have about 3,000 cans out in San Francisco, and yes, we hope that when we select our favorite can, uh, we will ultimately work towards replacing all 3,000 of those cans. Um, that is not gonna happen right away. Um, you know, the, the goal is about two to 3,000 per can um, in the end production costs, so you know, that's about nine million bucks if we're gonna do all 3,000 cans. So we're gonna probably go through a few budget cycles where we ask for the resources to um, continue to replace the cans and put them out there. Um, so far, uh, we've spent about, and maybe Lisa can correct me, about $550,000 on the process. That includes all of the um, work with our industrial designers, which were, that was many, many meetings and lots of feedback. and. As Allison said, I was a little obsessed with rodents because the pest management <laughs> manager works with me closely. Um, and that's all I talked about in those meetings. But we had many, many design um, discussions and you know, we heard from the designers and we had that back and forth. And then we handed over to APROE and they do this incredible job. I think Tamara described it really well, like all those different things that you're testing and then you're putting together and then you're doing again. And um, so it's, it's a very iterative process and, and um, will continue to be. But in the long run, we hope that we will have pretty affordable cans that will also be much, much lower maintenance. That's the goal. And so we fully expect we'll be making up a lot of these costs by not having to do as much maintenance on the cans and as much cleanup around them. Did I get all those? And did anyone else want to add? That was impressive. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll go to you and then Hi, thank you so much for your time today and thank you for the effort that you're putting into cleaning up our city. Um, I had a couple questions after listening to um, what you have provided as some examples and what you've shown that you're collaborating. Um, one of the options you have available is the uh, Big Bear Saver. Um, I swim in the bay weekly and they have that option available regularly in Ghirardelli Square. And one of the questions I had is, was that um, navigated as one of the pilot locations that you selected? And is it a viable option? And why would we want to pick something that's already in the city and workings, for example, in Ghirardelli Square with a lot of tourists? And then my second question is, um, a lot of what's happening has to do with how the city communicates with itself and then how human behavior interacts with that. So I went to a seminar where it kind of talked about how after recology um, will come, there'll be some sort of lingering um, trash due to politics around um, you know, parking and city cleanup. 
And so how is a education factor going to play into putting in these trash cans? Because a lot of people are watching us right now. I think this is a beautiful opportunity to put in a behavior component to how we as a city want to clean up our trash cans because it's really us around the trash can, not so much what's going inside of it. Thank you so much for your time. Great, great questions. Um, so yeah, we are testing the Bear Saver. That's one of the cans that we're testing. I think one of the things that we learn um, about San Francisco is many neighborhood, many different neighborhoods, different cultures within those neighborhoods, and different behavior on the streets within those neighborhoods. So we put Bear Savers out um, when we started to test them in Hayes Valley, and the locks were broken within a day. Um, so they may not have that issue in Ghirardelli Square, but we were having that issue in Hayes Valley. Valley. We did put on a stronger lock, and so far they're doing okay there. But I think that really highlights, um, for me, the importance of field testing these cans, right? And that's why we're putting them out uh, in 26 cans all over the city, and then we're going to move them. So we're, we're doing 30 days in one location, and then we're going to move them all and test them in other locations. Um, and, you know, we really want to, we've invested a lot already, and we want to get this right. Um, so we want to make sure that they'll that they'll do well in all the different, ideally in all the different neighborhoods um, in the city, whatever we end up with. Um, okay, so um, in reference to like where those um, big bears are, so GGNRA they oversee the beach, so they can pick their own cans. The port oversees their cans; they can do whatever they want. Rec and Park, the same thing. So what we're trying to do is not only get a uniform can, but to show the rest of the city and the Bay Area that maybe go this route. And so Are when the yes, because what happens with the big bears is I don't know if you saw the one um, that we put in place on Laguna and Grove, but it got tagged like the first week. And so it looks like a canvas to a tagger. I'm not. A tagger, let's just be clear. No, but it looks like a canvas to a tagger. Yes, so they, I worked in graffiti, I worked in swing shift, nights, uh, special projects. I've been all over the bureau. So, yeah, and we, we recognize there are some things that just kind of, you know, taunt people to come do something to me. Now, in reference to the behavior, we're hoping to get a lot of feedback from all of you guys when you see somebody come to your neighborhood and put garbage out next to it or put their personal property out. When you let us know, then we can use the sensor. And so when it fills up at a certain time, then that makes the, the PIO, the public information officer, go out and take a look. Why is it? Right. Well, for the inside of the can, it would, it would, if it fills up at a certain time, that lets us go out there. Around the can, we'll, we're counting on you guys to let us know. Just make a call to 311. Someone's dumping. We'll try to catch them. We'll try to educate them. We'll try to make sure that that doesn't happen at that location. And so we'll send resources out there. But once the cans are in place, it's like a new car. You don't want anybody touching it, and you don't want anybody leaning on it. So when you see it in your neighborhood and you have this fabulous looking can, you understand me, so you want to make sure it stays that way. So if you see somebody littering or putting garbage next to it for whatever reason, cardboard you get credit for. So why dump it? But the couches and that type of thing, people move out of the city quite frequently and sometimes stuff gets put out. We don't know why, but we won't know until we investigate. But that's a part of our investigation team.
There you go. Oh, sorry. Hey, uh, so a couple things. Um, New York City is just wrapping up a similar program like this. They're about four years ahead. Um, their RFP included that the cost of the cans should be no more than $175, and they needed to last three years. These are over 10 times that. Will these last 30 years? One question. And then the other question is with these sensors. What is the interface that these sensors are going to reach out to? If you've got 4,000 cans all over the city, how are you going to be able to pay attention to which can is full here, which can is full there? Yes, great questions. We, we do hope they will last 30 years. That's the goal. We're investing a lot, and the, they are designed to be very, very durable, and so we are expecting them to last a very long time. Um, so yeah, I hope, I hope 30 years. Um, in terms of the sensors, so they are, we're, we're expecting to use that data in a couple of different ways. For one, um, it will notify when the can gets to a certain level and then that, that actually goes, it, it notifies 311 and then they route it to, currently to Recology, they're our service provider. Um, but over time, we are hoping to look at the data. So if we see that certain cans are routinely filling up, then we will be able to plan to service them more often. So there will be some um, inefficiencies in the beginning of using the sensors because it'll just notify them, hey, this is getting full, you need to service it. But that will help, we hope, prevent litter from spilling out and then, you know, uh, existing around the cans, which I think does contribute to people feeling like it's okay to put litter around the cans or other things around the cans. Um, but over time, as we look at the data, then we'll be able to try to do more efficient routing of their trucks so that we will know where to send them. These cans routinely fill up. And by contrast, you know, these cans in some quiet, quieter spot, they don't need daily service. We go daily currently because that's what the contract says, but maybe those could be serviced every three days and then we can service the high maintenance cans more often. So the real hope is that we're going to be able to use that data to, to be more efficient in how we service the cans as well. There's some questions from Zoom. Oh, yeah. I can ask two of them real quick. So first one is, what is DPW doing to crack down on businesses that line the sidewalk near public trash cans with stacks of cardboard? The next question, many of our neighbors with very low incomes count on the money they can get from bringing in cans and bottles to the redemption center. Since the new trash receptacles are designed to prevent access, how does the city plan to help those residents? Great questions. Um, for the first one, we have a team of public information officers. They're called the Outreach and Enforcement Team. And they, uh, their job is to go uh, basically find out if businesses are leaving cardboard out on the sidewalk or don't have sufficient garbage service. So if we get a call that there's cardboard stacked outside, we will send them over there. They'll look through it or they'll approach the near bus nearby business and say, hey, did you leave this out here? And they'll educate those businesses about what they can and can't do. They also will, we can look to see if they have sufficient service for the business based on what they're generating. So we do have a team that does that. We do need people to tell us. I mean, we do proactive sweeps. So for example, um, neighbor uh, streets like the Mission, um, particularly between 16th and 24th, that we were seeing a lot of cardboard being left out. So we proactively, the team went out and they went to all the businesses and then they're doing follow-up visits. Similarly, we recently got a call that Valencia also 
tends to have a lot of cardboard left out. So we, we will do proactive approaches if we either see it or we hear about it from folks, but we also really rely on people, and I know it's a lot to ask. You just wanna walk around and do your thing, but if you see stuff, please call it in because it helps us try to prevent it from happening ne the next time. Um, in terms of the second question, the cans are designed to prevent rummaging, but they are not designed to prevent recycling exchange. So I am going to quit talking and ask someone else to talk about the recycling exchange. Okay, so I, maybe I can respond to that question. So each of the custom uh, trash cans has the components on top, either, are, either on top or by the side of the trash uh, opening um, for recyclables. So those are for your glasses and cans and uh, someone, you know, if they want do want to extract those materials and um, contents out from the recycling exchange, they're able to easily do so uh, by not, you know, but they don't have to go through, you know, the trash can itself. Um, and the off-the-shelf components, we currently don't have them, but um, I believe each of those products would have uh, a component that could be added to each of the trash cans at a, a small uh, cost uh, to uh, include recycling uh, uh, exchange. Hi. I have about 40 questions, but I'll just give you three. Two. Too. Okay. Um, I liked what you brought up about the New York piece. Um, so love the idea of, you know, saving materials and labor to have something last for a long time. We, our earth desperately need, needs that. However, 30 years is a really long time and technology, like 30 years ago, we didn't have cell phones and internet in people's homes. So my hope is that in the next 30 years, this technology will blow these trash cans out of the water. God knows what'll be existing then. So I guess this is more of a, like a statement, but like, do we really want trash cans to live on for 30 years knowing that technology is gonna look very different? Um, if you have an answer to that, great, please pop in. The other thing is, I think there are a lot of cities, New York, elsewhere, who are trying to solve the same problem and we invested half a million dollars into trying to solve a specific one, but like every city has graffiti issues, every city has people breaking in. What was the process of reaching out to even our European counterparts or people within the US to see what worked and why use off the shelf options if you knew that they weren't gonna work already? Like Bear Saver is asking for graffiti. Like why even try it if that already answers the fact that like per your criteria, it doesn't solve for it. Like why spend the money on it? I kind of put the last two all right, um, in terms of the 30 year, I mean, I, yes, we didn't have cell phones 30 years ago, but we did have trash cans, public trash cans. So <laughs> I don't know that they're gonna go away, um, but there is also a cost to putting them out in the street. And I think that's one that we are also trying to solve for. There's, um, so every time that our Allison's crews have to go and restore a trash can that got damaged or put a new trash can out, that costs. So I would love to see you know, what New York is spending on that, because I, I'm sure it's not cheap. Um, the human labor is the most expensive component of a lot of what we do. Um, in terms of why we were testing off the shelf, partly because a lot of people were like, why aren't you testing off the shelf? Why are you spending so much money on custom cans? So we wanted to test them. Um, as Allison said, we predicted those bear savers are likely to get graffitied, but let's test it. We don't know everything. And I think field testing is the key to make sure that we're not making an assumption and that we're actually checking to confirm what we believe is likely true based on years of experience dealing with these things. Um, 
And we, so we had some money available to test off-the-shelf cans, and we decided let's go ahead and do that so that we can explain to folks why we didn't just buy a bunch of Bear Saver cans and put them all over the city. Oh yeah, that was, I'm glad you asked that, um, and I'm glad you reminded me about that question because that was part of the process. So some of the money that was spent to date was ICI did a lot of research. And in fact, before we even started the real design process with them, they were doing research for us. What are other cities using? What are their successes? How's it going? And basically, other cities were still having a lot of issues. So um, that's when we started talking about, well, what if we tried to come up with all the key criteria, and can we design a can that tries to meet those criteria? So um, research was definitely a big part of the process. So um, in reference to the other cities, I was waiting on her. Ma'am, right here. Okay. <laughs> in reference to the other cities, I don't know they're the top, top five cities in the world. We are. We got that track record. We are like number one, you know what I mean, the top five in the world for people to visit. So the other cities, I'm not sure about that, but as Carla said, she did the research. I know those concrete cans have been around since I've been employed. That's 23 years, that's a long time. That's those green, stubborn concrete cans. They have them in the East Bay. They have them everywhere. So they're durable enough, but we're moving forward with something that's gonna be less maintenance. Every time it gets tagged, we have to paint it green, yeah? And then every time somebody, like over by the beach, the doors rust, okay? So we're looking at cost all the way around. And the team that works with me, there's a can truck, a teamster, there's a laborer that helps them see and operate the boom. There's the maintenance truck where they take out the Renaissance can with the, with the saw, the sawzall. And then there's BBR, they have to install the cans when they're damaged beyond repair. So it's, She's did the research, believe me, and the other cities are nice. They're not San Francisco by far. Yeah, given that this is going to be the prototype for international trash can, and you know we're doing the research, and it might be known as a San Francisco can. Why why can't this people pay us? You know we patent it or whatever you say if they're going to do it then they have to do, you know, give us some money because we do all the research and all this great stuff. I like the way you're thinking. Great idea. We're going to solve all the trash can problems with this process, and then, yes, let's patent it. I love that idea. I don't know what my <laughs> friends at APROE would say to that if we have all the rights, but it's a, it's a great idea. I think there was one, yeah. Uh, so if I could just follow up on both of this gentleman's questions, um, you said you hoped they'd last 30 years, but you, you talked about like this requirements process. Was was there actually a tangible um, design lifetime identified in that requirements process that they're meant to last? Um, and, and secondly, with the sensors, um, like what is, what is powering these sensors? Is, is it batteries that need to be changed? Is there some kind of solar panel? Um, and how does it communicate? Is it cellular networks? That, that's it. Um, I can respond to the question about um, the longevity of the trash cans. Um, that we actually did specify that this trash cans needs to last at least 25 years in our uh, spec documents. Um, 
that uh, the sensors, I guess, Allison, will you be? Well, with the sensors, it's not um, battery operated because they would be missing, just like those solar <laughs> big bellies that we've been talking about. But they, um, I'm not sure what the mechanism is, but it's, it's self-powered and it sends a signal. So you're the engineer, so you, <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> I, they, um, they are actually located inside the can underneath. And so um, I, I think they actually are battery operated, but um, they, they do run on the, the cellular network um, to, to send the signal. Sure. I, I was curious how this program translates um, into residential, because it seems this is very much around the public or the business locations. And I, and I asked simply because I personally had to wake up at 4.30 this morning to make sure that the garbage I was putting on the sidewalk wasn't picked through and was around the time that it was going to be picked up by Recology and, and, and the other um, services. So just curious how that potentially might carry over to residential. Um, well, this process is really about the public city garbage cans, which tend to be in more widely traveled areas. Um, so they're not really focused on residential neighborhoods, although you know they might be at a bus stop in a residential neighborhood or um, you know certainly along neighborhood commercial districts, that sort of thing. Um, I do know that we have uh, tested some uh, gravity locks on the toters, and that's worked well. Um, Recology rolled that out in a couple of neighborhoods, and they're going to be, I think ultimately the goal is to make that citywide as well, but um, so far it's only been tested, I think, in the Tenderloin and um, Hayes Valley. So, uh, but that's something that there's a real interest in continuing because it does seem to help prevent the rummaging. There is a process by which you can put a lock on there now. Um, it's called lock service, and okay. we, I can tell you more about it after this. Okay. <laughs> there are a couple more Zoom questions, if you'd like, and then I think there was a hand up over here. So I'm actually going to paraphrase one of these because there are a lot of words. Uh, <laughs> basically, is the intention to pick one trash can and order 3,000 of those to be distributed across the city? Or is it possible that if your data shows that one particular style is more effective, say, in SOMA, and a different style is more effective, say, in the financial district, you'll split the order amongst those designs? The second question is, what was the greatest mechanical challenge of building the prototype cans? All right, I'm going to take the second question, and I'll let Tamara answer the I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, I think our real hope is that there, I mean, my hope would be we have one clear winner that just is outperforms everybody else, and then we know, and you know, we barrel straight ahead. Um, I think that our hope is that we would have one can that would be the can that works uh, great and, and if it means we need to you know, marry and have a baby of the couple of the designs, that's an option. Um, but it, it's an interesting question. I, I don't think we have, I, I wouldn't say that we, I, we haven't ruled out sort of anything at this point. So it's conceivable that we might say there's a clear winner for this type of neighborhood and a clear winner for this type of neighborhood. But um, so I'll just say we haven't ruled anything out and leave it there. Tamara. Great, I get a question. <laughs> um, there were a number of mechanical challenges that came up, of course, but um, one thing that stands out is 
Um, the salt and pepper cans, they're the, <laughs> they're the heaviest ones out there probably. And uh, we had assembled them. They were some of the first that we assembled. And, you know, they're sitting on the shop floor. It's like, wow, it finally looks like a trash can. And we open the door and the door swings out and like clangs onto the floor. <laughs> it's so heavy that it's like not actually supported properly <laughs> by the rest of the can, you know. And we just, we were working on a pretty tight timeline and didn't have time to, you know, make one design and then learn from that. So we have a bunch of them with really heavy doors <laughs> and that's not going to work for anyone. We're trying to like, we're trying to pick up the door and like get it back on. <laughs> um, and you know, of course that's not what we want for, for ecology or anyone. Um, so, you know, um, challenges come up and we decided to reinforce the door with some horizontal pieces to um, counteract some of those like forces that were happening with the, um, and also, man, there were some ratchet straps involved. <laughs> Just um, when the metal, so the salt and pepper was galvanized, which is this you know, amazing zinc coating that will help it not rust and last forever, even next to the ocean. Um, but that process sometimes like warps the material a bit. So um, reinforcing, ratchet strapping, adjusting the hinges, you know, it all definitely came together. Um, but yeah, good challenge. <laughs> Um, so we've been hearing the word rummaging a lot, so I wanted to go into that a little bit in that I have a question of there's been research into the causes for this rummaging. I know one was mentioned extracting recycling, I assume extracting food, and the bigger question there is are we investing into eliminating the need for that rather than simply being like, okay, we're going to stop this because I assume people still need food, people still need to extract recycling, and I know we have a solution for that, but are we investing in the need to eliminate, eliminate this at all um, instead of just being like, okay, we'll have nicer trash cans. I feel like we're missing the human component here. So I wanna hear more about that bit. Sure, I mean, I think San Francisco has a strong reputation for investing in the human component. Um, that is not public works primary role or responsibility. So uh, we certainly work closely with other partner city agencies, but our responsibility is trying to keep the streets clean. And one of the big challenges we have is keeping garbage in the can. So we're trying to solve that problem and we have many, many colleagues in other agencies who are absolutely focused on really trying to address the underlying issues that might contribute to that behavior. Yeah, maybe I'll try to respond to that question. So um, I think some of the reasons why people are trying to reach into the trash cans and try to take things out is one thing, they're able to see what's inside. When they see something that they want to take, they will reach in and take it out. So, uh, and we try to resolve that by um, creating smaller openings and also implementing this neck that Carla described that this, you know, would just 
you know, if you're standing outside, basically you're, it's impossible to see inside. So when you can't see inside, it tends to just discourage people from reaching inside. So um, that's what, uh, that's, you know, um, I think it's relating to her question about, you know, keeping the openings uh, small enough for uh, litters and street, uh, just trash for, uh, coming from streets and shops and stuff like that but um, not large enough for other types of, you know, behaviors like rummaging. And also, I think we've also heard reports of people taking their household trash and dumping them on public um, trash cans, which we, we do not want, um, you know, that shouldn't be used that way. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Uh, and so um, sometimes in like, let's say the tenderloin, people hide drugs and can't. So they're not caught with it on them. They're standing next to the can, they're high drugs. Sometimes people lose keys in cans. They lose keys in the sewer. You know, so there's like many factors to why anybody is going through the garbage. It's like trying to be a brain reader, a mind reader. There's no way for us to know without asking that person, what are you doing? But so for, you know, for the human part of it, like she says, we're working with many agencies to help to deter people from digging in there by giving them the resources, by being available, and just asking them, you know, what do you need? But for people to rummage, something's in their mind saying something's in there that they need and they're gonna get it. You know, these makeshift keys and all that, that's not gonna happen with that salt and pepper can. You have to have a large <laughs> key, it has to go in there, you have to turn that knob and then it opens up like, like I said, like Star Trek, you know, it's like, <laughs> I love it, I'm sorry, excuse me. And then to close it the same way, you're not gonna kick that without breaking your toe, you're gonna turn that key and lock it back. So that, you know, it may take a little longer for ecology to service it, but it'll be durable. And, it, and if somebody's drops something in there, you'll try to reach down there, but you won't get your arm back. So they'll, they'll learn, they'll learn, but. There's no way to tell why anybody, I mean, if they didn't lose their keys or money or if they're hiding drugs or something like that, but they can do that with these cans now. Cause they're, you know, if you notice, they'll be like, don't touch that can. Like, it's not your can. But you know, it's different factors to the human nature. There's no way to tell. I think we have time for about two more questions. Hi, um, so right now, listening to you all, it's really clear to me that the main goal or objective of this pilot program is to make sure that the streets are clean and that's what public works is focused on. But I guess I feel like there's a disconnect when I see the website and the goals and how many there are, especially when aesthetic, like pleasing is one of them. So I'm wondering um, why not limit like the goals or make them smaller or more concise so then they're much more focused on like the main objective, which is keeping um, streets clean, as you guys mentioned. And if not, um, when you are going to decide on the trash cans, are you going to focus or prioritize on the goals? Yeah, I mean, I think um, certainly our primary goal is keeping the streets cleaner. There are a lot of factors that go into that, right? So we're gonna have to try to balance the maintenance expectations um, of the cans as well, you know, um, and that idea of like, are we replacing them all the time? So there are a lot of factors that go in, but I think um, we're gonna prioritize what do we think is gonna be the best way to keep the streets clean, to reduce the likelihood that litter gets out of the cans. Um, those are gonna be our primary, you know, uh, that's our primary goal. And then the, the factors that contribute to that goal, but that would be the highest 
sort of ranking, I would say. Okay, before we jump to our last question, I have a very uh, Manny's question, which is, so what are we supposed to do with our cardboard? Because like every night when we put our trash out, we like put a cardboard pile not in the blue bin, and I've heard that's, it seems like that's not what I should be doing, and that's contributing to the active problem we're seeing on Valencia Street. So what should I do, and if it doesn't fit in the blue bin, what also do I do then? So it should go in the blue bin. Great question. Please put it in the blue bin. Um, if, if I would say if you consistently it doesn't fit in the blue bin, you may need to upsize your blue bin. Um, if it's just a one-off that it doesn't fit in the blue bin, can you stash it somewhere until next week and then put it in the blue bin? And so sometimes uh, Recology says to bind it up and put it next to the blue bin so it's neat. But Sometimes people come along, they unbind it, and they make a cardboard house or whatever's going on with it. But like Carla said, you probably have to get a larger bin and maybe get a lock on it because people do rummage. You know, they rummage through bins too, personal, personal garbage. So, yeah. What about a neighbor with your neighbor's permission only? Where's yes. the police? <laughs> Okay, so our last question, it needs to be a good one to close us out. Something juicy we haven't talked about before. Let's see if we can find someone who hasn't asked a question. Or not. 